Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Dan Dockage will join us in an hour, and we'll chat all things Colts and where they're headed and why the decision was made now with Frank Reich after what was an abysmal showing by their offense yesterday against New England. Georgia handles Tennessee. Clemson hammered by Notre Dame. Bama falls in Baton Rouge as LSU tops the tide. The Chiefs in overtime last night win by a field goal over the Tennessee Titans for Sunday night football. Uh, The Jets take down the Bills and so much more to discuss. Chad, good afternoon. So much to get to, Hutton. It's difficult to know where to start. Uh, I started this morning on Dan Dockett's show, Don't At Me, on the Outkick Network, and we'll have Dan on a little bit later. But I described what the Colts were doing, this was right before the news of Frank Reich being fired, as a, quote, soft tanking, much like a soft opening at a restaurant. They're sort of dipping their toes in the water of tanking for a high draft pick by starting Sam Ellinger. I think it's now official, officially time to say it's now a hard tanking. That's going on with Indy with the firing of Frank Reich and hiring Jeff Saturday, who apparently surprised all of his ESPN teammates uh, because as they (laughs) broke the news on air, Hannah Storm even said, well, he's supposed to be in tomorrow. I guess that's not (laughs) happening now. Didn't advise anyone there that he was taking this job. Well, now the Colts are about to face the Las Vegas Raiders. Jeff Saturday, I don't think, knew anything about this last week whenever he tweeted out the Raiders are horrible. So now he's the interim head coach. And, and for the record, like if you want a soft tanking, hard tanking, whatever, just keep it status quo. The Colts are doing just fine losing as it is. You don't have to change the quarterback, the head coach, none of it. And now uh, over a stretch of about three weeks, um, what, October 24th, the uh, benching happened of Matt Ryan. And from there, they lost to Washington the following week. They then fire their offensive coordinator, Marcus Brady, the day after that, which was November 1st. Yesterday, they lose 26-3 to the Patriots. And today, Frank Reich is out. And Jeff Saturday, who's in their ring of honor, who was back in Indy last week as they welcomed uh, uh, one of their former uh, teammates into the ring of honor. And there was a huge group photo. And now he's the interim head coach after being a, a high school head coach for three seasons. And he's been a part of uh, the, the Colts organization as an advisor in an advisory role with, with ownership there. Jim Irsay pulls out of left field here. And he's, he's also been in the headlines a lot over the last month for comments made in owners' meetings and decisions made with his organization. Yeah, we'll talk to Dan Dockich about this. But I am curious how much of this is a PR move I know Dan is on Twitter right now claiming that, that this is more about PR for the Colts. Hey, let's bring back a conquering hero that everyone in Indianapolis loves and try to rally some support for the back half of this season with a group that's already failed. Um, I just don't understand the real value in that. 
Yeah. Unless you're bringing in Jeff Saturday because you think that this is someone that could be a great NFL head coach and you want to give him a, a tryout, so to speak, as a head coach and see if you want to hire him when the dust settles with all this. Bottom line is this. The Colts need a quarterback. I mean, it's really that simple. Um, I, I think that direction, along with whatever they do at head coach, is going to define the next 10, 15 years of this franchise because they don't have it right now. They need a high draft pick or they need to go make a move this offseason because what they have in that locker room is simply not going to get the job done. You could feel this coming. Like it was week one in Houston, and I tweeted out, like the only, the only question we're asking ourselves right now in the fourth quarter of that game is if Jim Irsay was going to fire Frank Reich by song or by poem. Like, it, you know, is he going to do it on, on, a, on a plane with an acoustic guitar or electric guitar? Yeah. You know, that, this was playoff or pink slip. This was AFC South champs or pink slip. It just had that feel to it. After all the comments of the offseason, how things didn't go with Carson Wentz, and Wentz caught all the blame there, and the owner pointing to the Titans as the bar, and you're 0-2 against the Titans this season, and you sit there going, where are we headed right now? Well, if you're going to fire him anyway, change it up and give a guy. I feel like Jeff Saturday was mentioned as like a, a flyer, like a, a left field option whenever Wright was originally hired. Maybe I'm crazy and I'm making that up. But Ursay clearly wants just some new blood to come in and shake things up because he's tired of hearing the same excuses and flying back from road trips where, you know, they get kicked around. And that happened again yesterday. And it wasn't because the Patriots are anything great. It was a field goal fest for them too with Nick Folk. But the, the Colts had one of the all-time worst performances for their franchise yesterday. And now Frank Reich's out. He's going to be a, a, a solid quarterback coach slash offensive coordinator for another team next season. But for the time being, the Colts made the right move. The timing, you can say, is a little weird because what difference does it make, especially if you're going for the high draft pick? But you already know that Carolina is searching for their head coach and you can get in the mix now and go about the process of finding out who your next coach is going to be. If the general manager is sticking around, and my guess is he will, and how high is the draft pick that you're going to have and what quarterbacks are available? That's I, all that matters right now. I did a double take, <clears throat> excuse me, when I saw the, the stat. Colts were 0 for 14 on third down conversions yesterday, which was a 30-year low mark in the NFL. I think tied for it. 0 for 14 on third down. I mean, that's it's so bad, it's laughable. And it's why Frank Reich, among other things, does not have a job right now. They're average on I yards. I also agree, Hutton, that, that he's going to get an offensive coordinator job quickly. Two yards per play, per offensive play, is what they average. <laughs> That's the fewest in a game since 1977. But you, you have to... I mean, the, the Titans were averaging more with Malik Willis than what Sam Ellinger got yesterday in New England. I mean, that, that's the worst in an NFL game this season, worst that we've seen since the 70s. And, you know, they, they pay a ton of money for Matt Ryan that doesn't work out. They just gave Frank Reich a, a big extension where I believe that he's owed now 25 to $27 million after next season. So they pull the plug and Ursay's continuing to spend money for no th nothing. I mean, they, his record, 40-33-1. and one. one and two is his record in the playoffs. And 
it had been a while since we've seen the Colts have success there. They got boat raced in Buffalo the last time we saw them in the postseason. It's also, it, the Colts are living life in this weird purgatory that every NFL franchise has had to go through since 1998 when they drafted Peyton Manning. Yeah. Right? I mean, they, were, they, they, they got lined up for the number one pick at the right time and drafted one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time over Ryan Leaf in 1998. That carried them to 2011 when Peyton set out with a neck injury for the entire season. They tanked that year. Number one. The year he's out. <clears throat> Peyton's out. And you've got Andrew Luck, this other generational pro-style quarterback from Stanford, another NFL quarterback's son, coach's kid, AD's kid. They draft him. And then at the ripe old age of 29 years old, Andrew Luck in 2019 leaves the franchise high and dry. And that sends the Colts into this spin cycle purgatory NFL quarterback madness where it's a revolving door up until now. That door is slammed shut with the benching of Matt Ryan. They go with Sam Ellinger to say, well, we got this guy on our roster. Let's see if he can play. He can't. He's not any good. The offense gets even worse. Now welcome to the rest of the league. Because almost everyone well, has gone through this where you have to identify and find your guy in the draft, and it's not going to get handed to you in the ideal, not just to get the number one overall pick, but in the perfect year to have the number one overall pick where you have a slam dunk quarterback prospect. The Colts aren't going to be picking number one, I don't think, right? But they very well could be in the top seven or eight of this draft, Chad, so now it's about getting right. I don't know where they're going to be drafted. Detroit just beat Green Bay. Last yeah. week, Detroit had the number one pick, so right now it's the Houston Green Texans. Green Bay may end up with the number one overall pick after Aaron Rodgers leaves, and they get to draft uh, Bryce Young or whoever number one overall. But the Texans have the... Uh, they, they will finish the season against the Colts, I believe. That's the only AFC South matchup left for Indianapolis. That result could end up being for the right to draft number one because they tied in week one. So if you're looking for the worst record, it could end up being, and Houston's really bad, it could end up being Houston and Indy playing for the number one pick in week 18. Also, it didn't have to end like this, Frank. Like, let's, look at it, let's look at this from Reich's point of view, where just down I-65, Mike Vrabel is running laps around Frank Reich based on roster and quarterback play. Wide receiver play. You have Jonathan Taylor in your backfield. And not once have the Colts acted like it. Going back to last year, you have quarterback issues. Okay. Stop throwing it all the time. Stop forcing the issue in the passing game and rely on the run game to win and allow, uh, allow your playmaking defense, which forced a lot of turnovers last year, to do that again. And Chad, their offensive line wavered this, this fall. They never truly went all in with Jonathan Taylor. And the head coach, who is the quarterback whisperer, had a different quarterback every single year he was there. And not all of that's his fault, but he ends up... I mean, at the end of all this, he has Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan. And they can't win with either guy. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's earned this firing, uh, for sure. Oh, yeah. And on the flip side of that, you talked about Mike Vrabel in the AFC South. He continues to, to do more with less. 
their ability for the Titans to plug and play on the defensive side with that staff and their plan is incredible. Let me also add this, though. It comes a time where it's a problem where you're constantly talking about Mike Vrabel's ability to make chicken salad out of chicken bleep. Right. That's a chicken bleep problem from the GM. It can't be every year. I can't believe Mike Vrabel's doing this with this group of players. This group of players is the general manager's issue. And that's becoming more and more of a problem for the Titans. All that out there, though, Hutton, that was an incredible performance by the Titans last night to take the Chiefs to overtime on a night where statistically Pat Mahomes still had a record night. But you were able to hold them down to nine points for the majority of that game. Turned into a very exciting finish on Sunday Night Football with that last drive by the Chiefs. Colts, I'm sorry, the Colts, Titans have what it takes from a culture standpoint to be a a, a true contender in the AFC. They've got no pass-catching options. And without Ryan Tannehill... It's not been a secret. And this is... So many people want to focus on Malik Willis. Malik Willis, not the answer, not the answer. Malik Willis is no good right now and not ready to play quarterback in the NFL. I also thought he was much better than his first start in this game. And if he had a single guy who could make a play down the field, one or two of those fades he throws, or an obvious DPI is called on Austin Hooper, we're probably saying different things about Malik Willis' performance in this game. But Hutton... Man, oh man, that Titans offense outside of Derrick Henry is a bunch of nothing. They were awful before this game, too. Yes. And defensive effort, strong special teams play. Last night, in a weird way, reminded, it should remind all of you about what happened to the Titans in the playoffs a year ago. Great defensive effort against Joe Burrow here in Nashville. The... The Bengals shut down Derrick Henry, and Tannehill turned it over three times. Last night, the Titans really didn't run Derrick Henry because they had terrible penalties whenever they actually got Henry going some. And they don't trust their quarterback to throw to receivers who are not good, unless it's the second half. And for whatever reason, Todd Downing is... We all, I mean, their head coach is acknowledging this to Ed Werder last night. Something we all knew all year, and quite frankly, we knew in training camp. This wide receiving core is really bad. And for whatever reason, Chad, they're throwing, albeit only 15 times, they're throwing it up to guys who have no business making Pro Bowl-like catches. Nick Westbrook-Akine, Cody Hollister. Hand the ball off. Stop with all the BS throwing to these guys because... It's not, no matter how great the throw was, we know the result. The game was over no matter if the Chiefs scored a touchdown or got a field goal in overtime. Second down, fourth quarter, second down, they throw that pass to Nick Westbrook-Akine. You should have caught it, but it's Nick Westbrook-Akine. Yeah, because he's not going to make he, that play. He shouldn't have caught it because so that's then, who he is, but not then to it, catch that. Second down, they're outside of field goal range right there. They're up nine, or excuse me, up eight. Outside of field goal range, third down, they end up throwing that screen pass to Hilliard, who got gets blown up. Blown up, and you end up punting inside Chiefs territory instead of getting another field goal. Which at that point, you get three more points. It felt over. Mahomes wasn't going to score in back-to-back drives. It took them a while to get down into scoring range, even when they did. And I thought that was awful by the offensive coordinator last night that had a good game plan for the first half and in the second half 
um, didn't settle for the points when the whole point of the Titans' offense is to just settle for points and, and in time of possession. pound the rock. If you get within breathing distance of field goal range, just run that thing right up the middle three times, get six, seven, eight yards even. Yeah. If you're not picking up the first down, give yourself a makeable field goal. Because I'm with you. In that moment, you get anything on that third down play, anything, and get closer and hit that field goal, it's lights out in Kansas City, and the Titans would have beaten that Kansas City team three straight times and shown that they've cracked the Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Chiefs offensive code better than anyone else in the NFL. Instead, you go backwards, you let the Chiefs get the ball back, and Patrick Mahomes goes Patrick Mahomes. You knew eventually it was going to happen. But even when you have a defensive effort like that, and you have Derrick Henry, who ran very well in the first half, and you have special teams play that was good. I mean, they the the punt game coverage, um, what we saw last night from uh, the, the field goal team, all good. It goes to show you, you do have to have quarterback and wide receiver play late in games to go and make a play. The Titans got the ball back with a chance to go tie in overtime. No chance. You knew by the time that that field goal was good by Kansas City, Malik Willis wasn't going to make a play with that wide receiving core. And Derrick Henry, he's not going to get the 94-yard run to shock the world there. Not in that game. Not with the way they're loading the box. Not with the way they have zero respect for any of the receivers on the field. That's my point of contention all season with this team. I will judge them in the postseason, but they have set themselves up for the same thing that happens whenever you get tight window ball games against playoff caliber teams. Cincinnati last year, Baltimore the year prior. Even with A.J. Brown on the field, it's a tight window game with the Tennessee Titans. Now you've removed that, and they, it, Tannehill or not, Chad, they don't have the ability to go get points when they've got to drive the field to go get points. And their only hope, and they, they've got a great defense. I really believe this is a difference-making defense for the Titans. But their only hope, even with that defense, is that during this injury time, Traylon Burks went into a telephone booth and comes out A.J. Brown. That's it. And then Ryan Tannehill comes back quicker than expected from this high ankle sprain, which I knew was going to be a lingering issue and going to last for more than one week, and it's already been two and possibly more. Uh, That's the only hope, that Tannehill comes back better than ever and Traylon Burks magically becomes A.J. Brown at the end of this season. And who believes that's going to happen? No one. You know who else doesn't believe in the Titans? A.J. Brown, who's taking to Twitter again during the game, putting uh, memes and gifts out, laughing at the Titans for not getting open during the game or no one being able to get open. And uh, it's A.J. Brown having the last laugh with that trade. He got exactly what he wanted, and what apparently he really wanted was to stay with the Titans and then to pay him what he wanted and to help this team. And now that that's not happening, he's on a team that's undefeated and no one on the Titans can do anything at receiver. But it, it goes to show you can have a great game plan with one of the best coaches in the league, um, uh, going up against a future Pro Football Hall of Famer in Andy Reid, and future Pro Football Hall of Famer in Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. You can have a great game plan and stop everything. But when they needed to drive, Mahomes had his MVP moment. And then they got together with... I mean, they've got... All kinds of different players stepping up and making catches. The Titans have no one to make a catch. And that's the difference in quality right now between 
playoff caliber. Both teams are going to the postseason. One has a legitimate chance to win it. The other one doesn't. And it's not because of defense or coaching or anything like that. You can play this style. You can't go through stretches where your offense is inept to drive the field and just get in field goal range. Titans can't do that. And that's apparent with Tannehill or with Malik Willis. Although Tannehill maybe gets a couple extra first downs and just runs clock in the second half. But still, this is... It's a bad sign for what was a great effort by the Titans. It was, and, and Mahomes, by the way, MVP-like moment there in the fourth. Yeah, it was, it was not only great effort, a great plan defensively for the Titans. Second half, I have no idea what the Titans are trying to do offensively, but I'm also somewhat sympathetic for everything we just laid out. I don't know what Todd Downing's supposed to do with that personnel. Also, Hutton, you brought it up with, Tan- with Tannehill. I don't know that Tannehill does a ton more in that game. With those, well, with those receivers. He gets more done. They can call more plays and attempt to do more things with him. But even with a healthy Tannehill, with this group, I don't. it's not, it's not like that's a 21-point difference in this game. With no, but time of possession mattered. And the plays, I mean, counting the, the plays where flags were thrown, the Titans' defense was on the field for more than 100 snaps. The Titans ran like 47 offensive plays. I, I mean, I think Tannehill at least gets them a, a couple checkdowns that result in moving the sticks to where you, you your defense gets a breather. And they were gassed in in that in the final seven, eight minutes of the fourth quarter. Still, uh, great job by Mahomes and, and company. And I wrote down like, you you have to you you, you just knew that was going to come right that yeah. he was going to. And then you have a couple of extra tries at the two-point conversion to tie the game. But, I mean, the Chiefs are throwing to a... Noah Gray is making plays as they use Travis Kelsey as a decoy. They're throwing to Noah Gray. That's the sign of premier caliber quarterback play and coaching there and investment around your offense and what you're doing. And the Chiefs' defense just had to stop really one guy. Hit us up with your thoughts, Outkick360. Big win for the Chiefs because now they have the same record as the Bills, even though the Bills hold the head-to-head tiebreaker because of their win at Arrowhead earlier this year. But within the loss to the Jets, Josh Allen also hurt his elbow. He's going to be limited all week. And now the Vikings are going to Buffalo. So that's a, a nice AFC win for the Chiefs who are now in the second seed overall in the AFC. And the Vikings pulled one out of the fire yesterday also to stay with only the one loss in the NFC. Dolphins also win in a a tight game. Packers fall to Detroit, but Tom Brady and the Bucs somehow get another possession and drive down with the touchdown to Kate Otten. We'll break all the NFL scores down later when we come back. College football time. Georgia, between the hedges, win over Tennessee. Plus, Bama falls to LSU. Notre Dame takes care of Clemson. It is time to eat some crow and tell you how my bank account looks this week because, man, upsets galore, and it makes for a crazy finish in college football. That's next to Now Kick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a fun weekend of football. Had a great watch party here at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. We're watching Tennessee and Georgia, Alabama, LSU, and all of the games. Next time you're in Music City, swing by, say hello, grab a drink, taco, hot dog, whatever it might be, and uh, check out all the games on all of the TV screens, including the largest indoor screen in Nashville. Week 11, here is your AP Top 25, and keep in mind, we will probably look a bit different, maybe with the college football playoff rankings that will be released tomorrow night. Georgia, number one in the country, followed by Ohio State, Michigan, then TCU. Tennessee, they are number five in the country, followed by Oregon, LSU, USC, UCLA, and Alabama falls to 10, followed by Ole Miss, Clemson, Utah, Penn State, and Carolina. Those are your top 15. But, Chad, let's just break this down. Um, What a performance by Georgia. What a performance by Stetson Bennett. And you knew uh, the game was, what, 3-0? And Bennett stepped up and did that play-action bomb down the middle of the field to Smith, then ran in for the touchdown. And you just kind of had this feeling that, man, he is... This is the Stetson Bennett of the college football playoff. Can Hendon Hooker match that play? Well, the very next drive is whenever he's hitting the end zone. And I don't know how... The ball was returned past the goal line, but it was. I thought it was a safety. I did too. Um, I point, wish it was a safety now. Point being, <laughs> knowing what happened. Point being, right after that, like you just had this feeling that the onslaught was on before the first quarter was even up. So, first off, this top twenty-five, I, I, I think the top nine will be identical in the college football playoff ranking. I really do. The one question will be TCU and Tennessee at four and five. We'll, we'll discuss more of that. Yeah. There could be a flip-flop there, but, but we'll see. Uh, Georgia was terrific. Georgia is the first team, and maybe the only team, that was truly able to just big boy the Vols. Uh, and what I mean by that is uh, they've got dudes on defense where they can, they can man up. Uh, they were super aggressive at the line of scrimmage. They held at the line of scrimmage, and that should be the game plan for everyone. You get physical with Tennessee's receivers. You hold. If you can get away with it, great. Uh, if you don't, you know that's going to be a problem. They had the one drive where they had two or three pass interference, mm-hmm. defensive holding calls that kept it going. But that should be uh, what every team is trying to do. If you lay off of Tennessee, or you're not up at the line of scrimmage playing physical with them, or you simply don't have the dudes like Akili Ringo, who made a great play in coverage on the interception, with Cedric Tillman, where Hinden Hooker, and understandably so, is accustomed to throwing it up for grabs. If they're step for step with each other and letting Tillman go make a play, not going to happen against Keeley Ringo. Full credit to Georgia. They've got the defense to man up Tennessee and and have a performance like this. A couple big turning points this game. Tennessee's able to rip the ball out and get the fumble on drive number one for Georgia. The back-to-back false start procedural penalties – Tennessee doesn't get a first down. They kick a field goal. I thought that was maybe the moment of the game. Because Well, they gained 17 yards there total. and They, then they gained proceeded. 12 on the first two plays of that drive and got a first down. And then six yards combined on the two drives after that. 
I thought that was the first the first sign that this is not going to be a normal yeah. Tennessee offensive performance was not punching it in and scoring seven after that turnover. And the 75-yard punt was an enormous moment. It's 7-3. Tennessee gets another good stop against Georgia. I thought Tennessee's defense played pretty well. Uh, the one thing that's disappointing from a Tennessee perspective is I thought it was the Georgia offensive staff that looked more like Josh Heupel in that they schemed three plays where guys were wide open. It's usually Josh Heupel doing that for Tennessee on offense. And Tennessee didn't have any of that. Uh, overall, great performance by Georgia, suffocating defensive game plan, defensive performance. They are clearly the number one team in America. They are the number one team in the AP poll that we just saw. They will be the number one team when the college football playoff comes out. And I think it's a nice little drop-off from Georgia to Ohio State, who will be number two. But this is, this is not just Georgia's conference. Looking at the SEC, it's Georgia's country until proven otherwise. And I think they were out to make a statement on Saturday against Tennessee, and really not just against Tennessee, to everyone, that it is still their trophy and their championship to go win, and they went out and did it. Full marks to them. Stetson Bennett put himself right back in the Heisman conversation as one of the top two or three guys that may win the trophy. I thought it was a, a dominating performance by the Bulldogs. Well, the, just the the little things, too. You know, let, but – the the big plays, the splash plays early, where you know the talk was, okay, if it gets into a shootout, can Georgia's offense keep up? Well, then it was reversed because Georgia's defense with the closing speed and typically on some of these routes over the over the this this season, even sometimes last year, you'd see guys that were running five or ten yards more open than what they were on Saturday. And that was the biggest difference in this game is Georgia was able to win the one-on-one -on -one battles on both sides of the football. And then they also made just some really strong plays, like the, the dive for the pylon by Bennett, the great play in the end zone on Hooker where there's a fumble, they get it out with, with Scroggins. But again, like the punt, short field, touchdown, and then the, the throw to the back of the end zone that made it 21-3. That throw with the toe tap in the end zone was, I mean, that's NFL level, and that's the caliber you have to play to beat Georgia, uh, and not necessarily Alabama anymore. But there's the Bulldogs with a, a statement win because that's, that's the toughest competition they'll face right now. Yeah, and on, on the Tennessee side of it, you know, I, I'm hearing a lot of, well, now there's the playbook out of how you stop Tennessee's offense. I don't buy that. Because right now, I think Georgia's the only defense that can do that physically. So, yes, that's the playbook for Georgia. And Kirby Smart is obviously smart enough of a defensive mind to know what Georgia needs to do. Yeah. And they went out and executed the game plan. So, great for the Bulldogs. I don't know that there's many other defenses, if any, that can play Tennessee the way Georgia did. Here's the other side of this, too. And this is not taking anything away from Georgia. Tennessee was bad in this game. Their offensive line got bullied. Their offensive line was also terrible. There were eight pre-snap penalties on the Vols in this game. That's not going to get it done against anyone. It's especially not going to get it done against the best team in the country and the defending national champion. Six of those pre-snap penalties happened inside the Georgia 30-yard line. For a second straight year, Tennessee was able to get in scoring range and really do nothing with it throughout this game, and they shot themselves in the foot repeatedly. 
The atmosphere affected Tennessee. I'm glad they came out and admitted it and didn't deny it after the game. Jalen Hyatt said, yeah, it affected us. We were shook in that game. We didn't think it would, but it clearly affected us with all those penalties and how loud that crowd was. This was the first true road game experience for Tennessee. Only in that, yes, they destroyed LSU on the road. They took LSU out of that game from the opening kick. Yes. There was a, a, a muffed kick on the opening kickoff. Tennessee scored quickly. That place was mute for much of that game. Tennessee completely took that crowd out of the game. That was not the case in Athens on Saturday. Great environment, great atmosphere for that game. The rain in the second half, I think, helped Georgia do what they wanted to do, which was bleed the time and bleed the life out of that game, running the football where Tennessee didn't have much of a chance to throw it. Um, so it all, it all went well for Georgia on Saturday, but they were the dominant team. And I think that now when we look at those college football playoff rankings tomorrow, it's not going to show a sizable drop-off. It's just going to go one, two, three, four down the list. But Hutton, I'm here to tell you it is one, and then there's a pause, and then two. And that's going to be Ohio State. Georgia's clearly the best team in the country right now. Georgia, that was a playoff game for them. They're now a lock. And as you look at the standings, Chad, look at the, the I mean, they have wins over two op, top six opponents in the AP over Tennessee and Oregon, and the combined score is 76 to 16. Now just let that sink in. Yeah. And the magnitude of both of those wins for Georgia and how also, I mean, also how the committee tomorrow will view both Tennessee and Oregon, who Tennessee suffers their first loss. Oregon continues to win. Bama drops out. Clemson loses to Notre Dame. And for the first time since 2007, on the same weekend, Clemson, Alabama, and Oklahoma all lost. So much to dissect with, with those games, especially Alabama's loss to LSU. Yes. LSU is the most improved team maybe in America, definitely in the SEC from September to now. They have been terrific since that loss to Tennessee. Um, looking at possible teams that could make the, the Final Four in the college football playoff, Tennessee right now I believe still has a better than 60% chance of making the college football playoff. They got enormous help from Collins, Notre Dame, Fighting Irish, and from LSU on Saturday night. In a weird way, on a day they lose by two touchdowns at Georgia, it's almost as if their fortunes improved or at least stayed the same because of those two outcomes. TCU, I believe it should be Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU, Tennessee. I tweeted as much Saturday night once that Alabama-LSU game went final. I think that should be the rankings. I was also adamant a week ago that TCU should not be behind Alabama. And I was screaming that from the rooftops, that it was not right. Now, if you're going to apply the same logic as a college football playoff committee, and TCU was, I believe, seventh yes, a week they ago, were. then there is no way you can logically talk your way into saying that TCU should have been behind Bama a week ago and now should be ahead of one lost Tennessee this week. A team that beat Alabama and a team that won at LSU. And their only loss is at number one Georgia. So if you want to make the argument that TCU is behind Bama, then Tennessee should be the fourth team this week. Behind the three unbeatens and TCU should remain behind Tennessee. I'm making that argument as someone who has seen the college football playoff committee at work. If I'm on that committee... I think TCU's four, and I think Tennessee's five. I think the AP has it right here. But Hutton, that's going to be a weird argument to make if you had them behind Bama a week ago and suddenly have them moving all the way up 
to ahead of Tennessee simply after a come-from-behind win over Texas Tech at home? Well, I either way, tomorrow night's rankings should not matter for Tennessee. Meaning, like, if they win out, they've got a 77% chance of getting in. Tennessee the just can't also mess going, up and lose. That's, mean, that's it for them. Right. And we also, I mean, the committee would also point to the fact that we're going to have Ohio State and Michigan play. Yeah. So we will see. So TCU, either way, if they're fourth, fifth, Look, they, they should be okay. They, everything's in front of them. TCU's a seven-and-a-half-point underdog, too, this next week at Texas. Texas, who we know the committee also values. Yeah. Because um, they had them in as the only three-loss team in the top 25. They're now up to 18 in the AP top 25 today. But point being, TCU is going to have the resume boosters coming up. Yeah, with some re- potential rematch in the in the championship game. Meanwhile, you've got uh, coming up against Texas, which again we know the committee values very high on their their list. Well, look, none of this matters until the final one, right? I mean, we're going to do this every week and talk well, about it. Matters it. I mean, we because can, you know where they stand. If, yeah, you, if we, you're ranked, if you're Ole Miss or you know UCLA right well, now with one loss me, at nine. L- let me finish my thought on that because he, here's what I'm. And I, I argued this last week also. None of it matters until the final one, and people are going to say, "Well, you know, they're all going to." TCU's an underdog, and Tennessee's still got to win, and who cares right now? Well, we care because it's the committee telling us what they value each and every week. So we can only go by what teams have accomplished and what they've done so far and then look at this overall mosaic of college football in that context. My issue, though, Hutton, is always when they change the rules as they go. So this would be a changing the rules as they go if suddenly – Alabama was worthy a week ago of being ahead of TCU with one loss against Tennessee. And then a week later, they're going to rewrite the rules and say, forget all that. We now believe TCU is worthy of a spot ahead of Tennessee, even though Tennessee has a light years better resume than one loss Alabama did a week ago. And all TCU has done is beaten Texas Tech at home. Again, I'm not making the argument against TCU because I am a Horn Frog believer that they should be four. But I think that they are twisting themselves in knots if they now put TCU four and Tennessee at five. But also, I mean, also keep in mind... But like, it will take it, care of itself. Last week, just look at Oregon and how high they were and knowing that Oregon here, if they play at six or wherever they end up being tomorrow night, they can work their way back in after that awful showing in week one against Georgia on a neutral field. And I would have never bet that seen what we saw from Lanning's crew. Dan Lanning's done a terrific job because it would have been very easy to get very down after that 49 to 3 loss to open the season in a game that was very uh, that was highly hyped, but instead they've dominated since then. Bo Nix is uh, one yeah. of the Heisman Trophy favorites now as quarterback at Oregon. Uh terrific job they've done. I I think UCLA is a real sleeper here. I know we're going to talk about Oregon and USC as the more high profile programs UCLA gets USC at home let's let's keep that in mind USC struggled to put away Cal over the weekend at USC they go to Chip Kelly and you and UCLA so UCLA could be a real sleeper here that we're not really focused on simply because the two higher teams higher ranked teams in the AP and will be in the college football playoff in the Pac-12 are Oregon and USC Hit us up with your thoughts. Outkick 360 is where you can do that. We'll dive further into the college football discussion later in the show. Coming up, World Series champion 
crowned yet again. World champions. The Houston Astros get it done. We'll discuss how they went about that. And then Dan Dockett joins us in about 15 minutes. We'll talk all things Indianapolis Colts and the decision today to fire head coach Frank Reich. Jeff Saturday is the interim. That and more coming up on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You can weigh in on the poll question right now through Twitter. Just search out and follow Outkick360. Which team... Will the college football playoff committee have at number four in tomorrow night's rankings? TCU, Tennessee, Oregon. Those are your three uh, choices here. Right now, TCU, 51, we'll say 52% of the vote with uh, over 400 votes, followed by 39% for Tennessee. And then for some reason, other people wrote down and voted for Oregon. For some reason, they did. But uh, the right answer is TCU. We're going to give you a little hint. Right answer is TCU or Tennessee. I think it's going to be TCU in this ranking. I think if Tennessee wins their last three games, it will end up being Tennessee in the college football playoff. Chad, uh, something I was trying to decide for myself over the weekend. The Astros have won their second World Series in six years now. Um, They're always in contention here. And now the debate about dynasty. Are they? Are they there? Have they reached the dynasty um, definition? I think they're another championship away from that, personally. Is that bad? <laughs> because they're extremely great at rebuilding even after they've cheated. And I guess that's also part of it is we're also counting the year that they did that. Yeah, I think you need to get to a third title to be a dynasty for the Astros um they're a great team this is a great era for Astros baseball obviously but to to, to get the dynasty label you need a third championship or and Paul's not here to wreck me on this argument you need to win like 19 straight division titles like the Braves oh yeah the Braves were a National League East dynasty because they won it every single year Without a real but even challenge. more so, just just uh, even though they only won the world one World Series, if the Astros did this for ten to fifteen years, where they won that division every single year and then had two titles on top of it, I'm more inclined to say dynasty, or they just go ahead and win a third. I think then yeah. they're definitely a dynasty. But see, yes, and regardless of how they've gone about this, like whatever they do is perfect, like with with from the minors on up, and then. You know, they, their, their pitching staff is tremendous, top to bottom. Their earned run average was, what, two-something in the World Series? 2.29 postseason. Not just the World Series, postseason. That is uh, the best that any World Series champion has ever had since we have uh, saw the Reds come through in the 90s, 1990. So, it's remarkable. Dusty Baker, congrats to him as well. But, man... They're a solid organization, and they're, I hate the saying that champs. because of what happened a couple well, years back. Well, they're, they're the rightful champs. I like it when the team that was better all year 
the way the Astros were much better than the Phillies all year ends up winning it. When I don't have a dog in the hunt, you know, when it's your team, you want to see your team get hot and be a team that comes from nowhere and wins it all. But the Astros are the better baseball team this major league season. Uh, there's no denying that. And they end up winning it in the World Series. So I'm fine with the outcome. I know Philly fans are upset, but quite frankly, I don't care. Uh, go Astros. Go Mattress Mac. Go John McClain. I'm happy for those guys with their championship. I get it again. $75 million for Mattress Mac, by the way, with that win. Yeah, but see, but he also then pays back. He's paid for everything, right? He paid for his furniture by doing this. The well, brilliant they, concept. They sold so much that he would have won oh, either way. Right. But now he's paying back a huge chunk of that $75 million back to his customers that purchased furniture from him because they're getting the refund back for buying furniture with him. Over a certain amount. Was it three grand or something yeah. worth of furniture? Like a brilliant, he's, a brilliant marketer. The man with all wins. That. And ten million at stake is what the original bet was for to win seventy five, and he does it again, and Philly cries over it. The man gets it done. Will Philly be crying come NFL playoff time if the Eagles bow out early? That's oh. now the next question, because it was a high time to be a Philly sports fan when the Phils were in the World Series, the Eagles were undefeated. But will both seasons end? in tragedy. That's the last question to answer. Dan Dockage, don't add him. He's with us next.